Hey, it's Kathy. I just want to let you know that I'm doing a free five-day workshop. It's called the Abundance Activation Challenge, and it starts today. And it's not too late for you to join us. Today is the last day to join. Go to kathyheller.com slash five-day to sign up. The pre-party has been happening, and it's been such a blast. There's so many high-vibe women in there who are ready to call in more abundance. I know that you will love that you showed up for this. I'll be live at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern every day this week, teaching you how to become a master manifester. You are just going to have the best time. If you want to join us, sign up at kathyheller.com slash five day. There is something there that's really magical and the power to get back up again and keep going because you believe you can do it, even if all evidence points to the contrary. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. Ah, we just came back from a few days. We went up to see Pentatonics in San Francisco and it was just so incredible. It was so incredible. Just the amount of love and connection. I was standing in the arena with 10,000 people. Everybody had their little light on their phone and it was just that feeling of fullness and love. And I was thinking, oh, this is what God must have had in mind when he made people. Like this capacity for connection, for love, for oneness, for just beauty. And the talent in this band is just riveting, just incredible. So we had so much fun. And I have to say, I I pinch myself every time we go on these vacations because my husband and I, neither of us grew up like this. And to be able to take my kids and stay in five-star hotels, to be able to live life on my own terms where I can just work when I want to and I can stop when I want to take my kids somewhere. I mean, it's just incredible that I can demonstrate to my three little girls that they can grow up and that all of this is available. And I want that for you. I want to normalize seeing women millionaires and billionaires. I want women to feel that fullness of unleashing all your gifts and living on your own terms and not having to do it somebody else's way. If you want to be the one to get paid to do what you love and be the one to pick up your kids at the end of the day and put them to sleep and drive them to school in the morning, like who says that we have to do it somebody else's way? And it's all here for us. Speaking of that, I want to let you know that applications are now open for my mastermind. If you're thinking gosh, I've been seeing what Kathy's doing in this mastermind and this feels like the right thing. So you can check it out. Go to kathyheller.com slash mastermind. You can book a one-on-one call just to go over what your goals are for 2023 and to see if this really is the right opportunity for you. It's just been phenomenal watching these women have such paradigm shifts, have such breakthroughs, like allowing themselves to be like just allowing themselves to take a bite out of what's always been here. But sometimes we just can't see it. 
we really can't see it when we're looking at something a certain way, when we're looking through this very narrow view of all these limiting beliefs. And then it's like, wow, things can just change so much. And we can, we can truly grow a business, getting paid to do what we love and helping other people at the same time. So one of the perks of being in my mastermind is that you get to come to a couple exclusive retreats. We did one a few weeks ago at the Hotel Bel Air and it was extraordinary. And on today's episode, I want to play for you a clip because we had a few of my amazing friends come in like Terry Cole, my friend Jenny Goldfarb, and my friend Julie Solomon. And she's been helping women have such quantum leaps in their life and their business. And I wanted you to take a listen to a clip of what went down at that last retreat. Check it out. Okay, Katrina. So what do you got? So my offer is a two-day luxurious retreat at the Montage Infinity. Love it. Love that place. And this is for high-achieving, successful women who have, like, checked the boxes. Mm -hmm. They've got the career. They've got the family. They've got the home. Mm -hmm. But on the inside, they're, like, so stressed. They're overwhelmed. They're on the edge of burnout. Mm -hmm. And we're going to come for for two days, and we're going to learn how to release the stress, how to manage the stress in really concrete ways that are super easy that you can do every day. We're going to gain clarity on what it is that you want to create in your life, Mm -hmm. whether it's at home, your career, get really clear and then come away with not only the tools to manage the stress and to have that clarity, but like what are some concrete things that I can do, like setting boundaries, we're having conversations that need to be had um, so that really these women can like be happy and have fun in their lives. What do you want to charge for it? 7000 Okay. And that includes overnight accommodations for what? So it'll be like a Friday Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so it's free. Yes, yes, it is philanthropy. <laughs> Julie, get in there. Come on, Jules. We need you. So first, um, I want to say when it comes to my last, like this is, I can do this all day. I'm with this stuff. Okay. So this is, I'm going to kind of take you through a journey that I take my clients through. So the first thing that we have to understand about an offer is that people do not buy a thing. They buy the transformation. People also don't buy suffering or pain. They buy the pleasure. So, yes, we know the the problem is the stress, the overwhelm, but what problem are you solving? Because that's kind of what we want to to root into. So when you were talking, what came up for me was like, oh, this is basically like a pleasure retreat. Like you are going to allow them to experience for the first time ever pleasure in their lives faster and easier than ever before. And so it's about when you were explaining it to me, and I just want to be very mindful again with the words, you are explaining all the things that they don't want, which is great, and we have to know that, but I want you to also explain what it is they do want. Because when you're sitting here, it's like, I'm already overwhelmed, I don't want to talk about how overwhelmed I am. I'm already stressed, I don't want to talk about how stressed I am. I want to talk about where I'm moving to. And so when you kind of think about, a good metaphor for this is you think about, let's say you want to go on a dream vacation, and you're like, okay, And you call the travel agent. The travel agent is like, Julie, you will not believe it. The back bathroom of the airplane has toilet paper. (laughs) And then guess what, Julie? You will not believe it. The stewardess, she's wearing her hair. Oh, and and are you ready for a bonus? 
they're going to give you pretzels. Like, don't sell me the airplane. Sell me the hammock on the beach with the pina colada when I get there. So when you're, when you're thinking about just articulating the value of your offer, you want to be thinking of that. We're not selling them the plane or the features of the, of the plane of what's getting them there or, what, or where they've been. We're selling them where we're going. So focus more on the pleasure and just have fun with that. Like, like sit down, create vibes, get music going, essential oils, like throw up that thesaurus.com and just start like having a field day. You know, the words that you want to use to really articulate the value of this experience. So that was the first thing. So good, Julie. Are we the same person? Literally, she (laughs) uses the same analogy. I'm like, don't talk to me about the trip part. That's hard. Tell me about the pina colada. Yes. Um, Okay, now the price. Yes. So when you said 7,000 for two days, it was great until you told me that that included stay. For me, just from my own experience, I have never offered that. Not to say that you can't. I know people that go super high ticket and they're like, we want to offer all accommodations taken care of you because we don't want you to have to worry about a thing. And that's great, but that's a different type of experience. And so you have to root into what experience fully, really envision it. What, what experience are you really creating that you and or your team really want to take on on behalf of the amazing women that are going to be coming to this? So 7,000 sounds great for the two days of where you're at. And then just start rooting into more of what happens when they leave. Like what, what is that pleasure promise? Another thing that you can ask yourself that I'll have my clients do, I call it a for for fun and for for freedom filter. So we take what you want to offer and then we filter it through these two things. Is it for fun and is it for freedom? And everything has to be a heck yes when you say, is it for fun to offer two nights overnight at the montage? Yes! If it's not, then we don't, then it's a no. So just put it through the for fun and for freedom filter with every single idea that you're pulling through. Does that help? Can I pull something out out of what Christina is asking and ask you? So I want to now go a little deeper, okay? Because I don't want to let you off the hook because I want you to win. So when you said $7,000, including accommodations, there's because a little bit of that like, ooh, it's scary to charge that just for myself, but obviously I can charge it for Laguna. Well, they do that without you. They don't need you to sell for them, right? So um, let's see when, because it'd be one thing for you to walk away and she's like, so she said 7K for two days and you're like, yeah, but there's a big old boulder that she had in her backyard in between me and just being able to offer that. So let's talk about that. What feels not okay about saying it's $7,000 without the accommodations? And then Julie, let's see what you would have to say about, about what's in there. I know that those women, like I can see them in my head. I'm going to stop you. I don't want to know what you know. I want to know what you feel. I feel like they're not in my audience yet. That I'm going to attract them just a And so what does that mean? Like, I've just been playing small. And because you've been playing small, that means? Like you said earlier, that my vibration has been like, let's play small. And so I'm not attracting the clients that I really mm-hmm. can work with, but it would have help. So let's pretend I don't feel you small anymore. Okay? Because this is about for fun and for freedom. Smallness is not for fun and it's not for freedom. 
So when you think about that, what number feels fun and what number feels I mean, when you, when we were talking about the number, like that 7,000, that feels good. Is, is that 7,000 moving you to higher evolutions of growth? Me personally? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then it's a no. Oh my God. <laughs> so what would feel like it's moving you? It has to feel cutting edge, juicy. Dare I say a little bit scary? Yeah. Julie, just so you know, Katrina is a badass lawyer. Okay. She, I mean, I, she's a badass. <laughs> okay. Attorney. Boss. Yeah. yeah. And let's say this. Let's say that, let's say that you had a client that was being taken advantage of. And you have to go in and you have to show up for her. You have to suit up and show up for her and make sure that she receives what she is truly worthy of. It ain't seven thousand. Yeah, fifteen thousand. How's that feel? It feels amazing. It feels good. And it feels a little scary, but definitely the value is there. Mm-hmm. And now you can start to play. And get like again, this is we're like we're in a creative pandemic. Like we need to start having fun. Now you get to start getting really creative and you get to start really playing with like now what are we going to create, co-create, and manifest with this fifteen thousand dollar lifetime, life-giving, transformative experience that is so magical because guess what? It's never gonna happen again in that exact way. Because then you're going to go on to create other, th- other things and have other experiences. But that moment in time will never happen again. And that requires an ownership and an ownership. And you're going to be able to do that with that 15000 Julie, can we address something that she said? Yes. Because I want to get your take on it. So you said, I've been playing small, which was a beautiful reveal, by the way. I feel you. I've been there. I continuously have my own version of that. And I think everybody appreciated that you just came so clean with it. And then you said, they're not in my audience. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. First of all, I know it's not true because I know some of your friends now because she lives in Laguna Mm -hmm. and she's a lawyer. And one of her doctor friends Mm -hmm. um, had this big charity event. Katrina was generous enough to mention my husband, who you know, to do a stand-up. And he did a great job. He went down to Laguna. And I saw how much money they raised. I know who your friends are. Right. So... (laughs) So number one, I'm on to you. But even if, <laughs> even if I wasn't on to you, I want to talk to you about this. I yep. want to hear what's coming through for you because I think a lot of times, and you said it before, I'm not for mass, right? right. I'm not Walmart. So you might have, and I don't remember offhand, but you might have this many thousands of people in your Instagram following or community or what have you. You're not looking for those people. You're looking for a small sliver of those people and they've been waiting for you to call them up. Yes. So can you help us understand? I want to hear your perspective on this. If we're sitting here thinking the majority of people in our audience are not the person who could afford this. 
What's the next move? Is the next move knowing we're calling up the people in the audience who can versus, oh, now I have to start going elsewhere. And if we want to call up the people who are there, who are a small segment of a segment inside of the audience, how do we start to talk to those people? Yeah, that's great. So the first thing that I, I want to share is that when I made that declaration of like, I'm not Walmart, that was a declaration that came from my soul. Yeah. It didn't come from a fear-based place of, well, I wish I could be mass, but since I'm not mass, I'm going to tell myself that I'm not mass. Mm. Like, I'm not mass. I don't want to be mass. So for you with that, when you're saying these people aren't in my audience, is it because they're really not in your audience or because you're afraid that they're not in your audience? And you're afraid that they want to invest and they're afraid that they're going to say no to you. And so the reflection back to this is that I hear that and I see that. And I know even a lot of times if we are moving to higher evolutions, like even if we're going from a lower ticket offer to a higher ticket, we'll say to ourselves, okay, so, you know, I kind of have to like plan that it may take some time because, you know, there's this big shift and now people are used to giving me, you know, I'm giving them my firstborn child for $30 and now I'm asking for 30000 so that's going to be a shift. Yes and no and. I want you to be so flipping ready for people to say yes to you. Ah, so good. Period. And so what needs to happen for that, right? Goes back to when I talked about offers, right? Rituals, repetitions, shared language. What is the shared language? Again, this is where we get to be creative and have fun. You know who you are talking to. You have, because when you start to do your vision of the offer, you start to see that woman. You start to see when she walks into the montage, what is she wearing? What purse does she have on? If she's, you know, finishing up a phone call, who is she talking to? When she embraces you, what's the first thing that she says? Get that. I mean, for me, I get that detailed. Like in my, not that I'm like, well, my avatar drives a Range Rover and she's 30. So, no, that's a full card. <laughs> But I, I really move into the vision of that because I'll literally create it. Yeah. And then I want you to think about, like, what, what food are you eating? Heavy on water. What gifts are you gifting? Think through all of that. And that is going to start to reveal to you what that shared language is. You know who you're talking to. You know because you know. And so start speaking to them in the way that you would want to be spoken to. If someone was offering you this, and yeah. this really beautiful, high-level luxury experience, mm -hmm. what would you need to hear? What would that shared language be? And you start talking that. And that's for anyone that's either creating something new or you're shifting. You just have to be so ready for people to say yes to you. Yeah. And then you get to that place where, like, okay, so now I'm going to suit up and show up, and I'm going to start talking this language. And I'm not – I'm going to let go of the rest. I don't have to – get all in the outcome and get all in the results and get all in the, but what ifs I'm just going to start speaking their language because I know it because we share it. Beautiful. Katrina, how are you feeling now? A little different? Yeah, it feels really good. And I think what comes up is the thought of like, so in 2020 when COVID happened, I got laid off. And then I think that, knowing that I was being led in the right path and this is my purpose. Like it's not to be a lawyer, it's to do this, but there's like that maybe that I still have not, I never even really acknowledged it. It's like mm -hmm. something that was like a, a trauma, right? Like mm -hmm. getting laid off. And it just came up for me that like, there's 
like this rejection in a way. And so it's just knowing that even though that happened, that's what led me down this path that I want, that I love. I don't, I never, I didn't want to go back to that life. But then it's almost like, well, can I call those women yeah. if I was push out? No one can reject you but you. And there's a good question when we're going through that transformation because I, I honor your experience and I honor what you went through. And just, just your awareness mm-hmm. of being able to say, I don't think I fully processed this. That's amazing. Yeah. Because now you can accept and then start to take action towards the processing and towards that shedding. And that, this is universal. We are in a massive, transformative transgression of just shedding the old right now and rebirthing the new. And that is why for so many people, our businesses have felt at times a little clunky this year, a little idle, dare I say, a little unsatisfying. And we can honor that and have the awareness of it. And we don't have to attach to it and make it be something and, you know, stay there forever. But it's, this is a universal shift that we are all being called to level them up. You're so right. Period. There's nothing else. There's There's no no going back. (laughs) There's no, like, oh, I wish it would just go back to normal. There's no going back. There's no normal. There's There's this awakening of like collective consciousness. Like you can feel, I was on the phone with my daughter's principal as I drove here this morning. And I'm like, they just need to be engineers. They just need to solve problems. They need to have tools in their hands. Stop feeding them like social studies three hours a day. Like (laughs) stop it. And I'm like, it's all being dismantled. Right. Right. There's no more factory workers. You're going to have to be entrepreneurs. You have to be creative. They can't outsource your creativity. They can't outsource your love. They can't outsource your vulnerability. Then that's totally a remodeling of everything. And the ego has got to go. And so you are right where you need to be. You are going to call people up and move them into all possibility that is inside of them, which is the biggest gift for them because they can then stop trying to be inside this maze of a rat race where there is no out. There's no finish. It doesn't work. So, oh, it's so exciting for you. All right. Who else feels brave enough to stand up? Thank you, Katrina. Okay, Brenda. So unwell parents of highly sensitive children navigate school relationships and behavior so that they can confidently raise and advocate for their children, knowing that their children have the right tools and support. I have so many clients for you. Okay, so she said she said I help parents advocate for their kids. Highly okay. sensitive children. Highly sensitive children. Okay, and what's the container and what's the price? So the container is a high level coaching that includes information for the transformation. So because there's so many questions that come up mm-hmm. in addition to one-on-one support and it's $20,000 for what? For six months. 20,000, six months. It does include what does the private mentorship look like? The one-to-one the private mentorship looks like a VIP day okay. where we troubleshoot just the things that are coming up for your family and work through them and then box your support throughout the program. Okay, so the container is just, it's the VIP day, right? and then Boxer Support, six how long is the six, Boxer Support? Six months. Okay, so six just months. one in-person VIP day, one-to-one, and then continued six months of Boxer and Support. And coaching support in the group setting, so oh. weekly coaching. Okay, I'm getting a no, because that is a lot of high-level support for $200,000. <laughs> yes. 
That's my issue. Yes. To me, it's, you could do both, raise the price, or have those be two separate things. You know, or maybe the one-on-one, if you get into the group container, maybe the one-on-one is is like if someone wants to do a one-on-one day with you, they can, but it's an additional fee. And the other thing too, I mean, you can have an application process or whatever, but for something that you're doing at this level, you may not even know what someone needs at a one-to-one capacity until you have that group experience with them to really feel into it, to make sure that like you want to do a one-on-one with this individual or family. Just food for thought there. I have a question about the offer just because we know each other, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm. I want to know why you selected this offer because the last time we talked, you were going to do Reiki healing, helping women learn Reiki healing. Then there was a part of you that just wants to like be coaching with your spiritual authority because you were coming into claiming that. Mm-hmm. So this is the first I'm hearing about you coaching people in the parenting setting in regards to their kids. Although I'm not, I'm not put off by it because you've been teaching for so long that I, I know that you have a command of all of that language and understanding of kids and all their well-being. So that I got, but I didn't, I was surprised just based upon the other things that felt like a hell yes to you in terms of your own excitement. So can you just share why you, why you now chose this as the offer. It's a yes and. Okay. And now that you know all that, right. you can take Not it from there. Good. I'm the spiritual coaching, but I felt like, like the thing that was missing for me in public education was I felt like we were doing real harm to kids. And it was hard to know what to do to solve the problem and to not be able to do it. And so I feel like it's all of this combined into one thing in helping kids. Okay. I feel like you're still a little here. Okay. It's like you're, and I mean, because you were a teacher for so long, it makes sense. Like you're trying to get it right. Yeah. Because we've been told, and the way that we were all raised to learn is that the goal is to always get the right answer, which can lack a lot of creativity. So I don't know what the right answer is for you, but I know that you do. And I know that if you will allow yourself to really sink in, to really feel through when I think about my offering to the world. And that's the thing. Like, sometimes when I say stuff that some people are like, Julie, really, like, relax. Like, you're offering to the... And I'm like, no, it has to... I I have to have it be that. It's like my children's lives depend on it. That's how serious I take it. Because it can't be anything. I'm not going to do a half-ass offer. It has to be a full body, expansive. Again, it's moving you to new evolutions of growth. The other thing that you said, which kind of caused me to go, I don't know, is that you were like information. People don't buy information. People don't want information. We are overloaded with information. The person that you were just describing to me, they want to help their children so everyone can feel flippin' better because their children are so sensitive to every sensory thing that's happening and their freaking families can't function because of it. They're depressed, they're overworked, they're stressed, they haven't had sex in months. Like, it's it's deep flippin' shit. So how are you coming in, not with information, but you are literally coming in and you are helping them. It's like a tree that just needs a like better soil. Like, we've got a... Take the tree out, 
re-fertilize the soil and then put the tree back in so the roots have a better system to grow. So what does that feel like for you? Like, and take your years of craft, every, your, your experience. Are you a mom? Mm -hmm. Your years of raising children yourself, like everything that you have to to pull this out of you and have it come from here instead of just being like, I want to get the right offer. That may be the, the right offer. But I want to feel it more from you first. It's really about the moms. It starts with the moms. It's always about moms. It's always about the moms. Yeah. Because I think that as moms, we have this fear that we're going to be kids. And if we know how to take care of ourselves, it's a little bit better. And that, even deeper to that, why we're afraid of losing our kids, is then that means that we're So it's really about the mom. We don't want to feel that feeling of loss. I'm just wondering if you went from where you were the last several times that we connected on this, it was about, I really want to own that I am a channel. I really want to own that I am a warrior, that I have crossed the ocean inside. I really want to own that I can put my hands on people and they can find their alignment. I really want to own all that. And what you just said with tears in your eyes was, it really is just the moms. It's really about, for you in this moment, nourishing their soul. And so you just move from, I want to give parents information to, I want moms to feel so in wholeness that their child moves into resonance. Yes, that's it. And so... I wonder if you moved out of where you were, which we just went all the way back to, because you wanted to focus on women coming into that full integrity with themselves. wonder if you moved from there because, and I'm going to let you answer, obviously, but was there a feeling of like, well, no one will buy it, or I don't trust it enough, or at least I can show proof and credibility that I was in the classroom for all these years. So that makes more linear sense. And therefore people will pay me to still be in some form a teacher because I was a teacher in that way, even though you're a teacher in many ways. And what would it take for you to allow yourself to stand in your truth, like the seals in La Jolla and offer what you really came to offer? Well, you're absolutely right. You saw it. I want to connect with the moms. And there was a part of me that thought moms would buy it for themselves. Well, I know that that's not true because moms buy lots of things for themselves all the time. Right. And for their kids. And moms are the buyers. (laughs) Women are the buyers. Always. There's something that I feel like you are pretending not to know about your purpose Yes, that's it. That I want you to root into. Okay. I don't know what it is, yeah, but there's there's so much power there. It's there, yeah. but you're pretending not to know that it's there. And when we do that, there's always a pain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm supposed to open that duster. You're supposed to what? We table. She's a spiritual teacher. Yes. She really is a channel. Yeah, I got chills. She got chills. Yeah. So why are you denying that? Because you know it's true. Because your soul is giving you a signal. And the thing is, the guides are like, it's like you have this veil. 
It's all it is, is a veil. And literally, all the guides, the lineage, the Akashic record, all the things are, like, here. And they can't come through because you won't lift the veil. Oof. This is so good. Yes! Yes! Oh, my God. So lift the veil? Like, I I want, like, this is my vision. I see you. Where do you live? Portland. 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 Like, I just get this sense that you need to go to Portland, get out in nature, go outside where you have space, and, like, I want you to freaking go there. Like, speak in tongues, channel the stuff, let it come through. Like, I want you to really allow yourself to go deep into what you are feeling because there's a lot, lot more that's available to you. Let's talk about what you just said. That one sentence you said before, you said there's a payoff. Yes. What right now? The part of you that's really you, let's ask it to come forward because it knows everything. What for your avatar, for this ego, for this Brenda, what's the payoff for having the veil on? The payoff for having the veil on is... Like what would it cost you to remove that veil? Oh, I'm protecting myself. From what? I've got, like, this show on. What are you scared of? What will people think if you're like, this is me, sassy, freaking spiritual master. (laughs) This is what it costs. (laughs) Yeah, what's there that's in your way? Is it that, like, what is it? Let's just be conscious of it because it's running the show right now. I think it's fear of stepping out into it. And then what? What could happen? I would be a target. For what? Judgment? Maybe, but that doesn't feel. Okay. It's not judgment. Rejection. Rejection? No. I think it's being physically hurt. Like fear of being physically targeted. Did you ever have like a woman in your lineage that was ever physically assaulted? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like inherited family trauma stuff right there. Well, it's lived physical trauma. She yeah, had it. There you go. She did. Yeah. yeah, she's a survivor. Okay. I have an appointment set in my head with my healing teacher. Great. I mean, you're doing the work. So if you were going to be your own version of what Esther Hicks represents to you, which you know you came to do, what does that offer look like? What does it cost? What's the container? And what are you delivering? I think it looks like speaking. I think it looks like events in the big ballrooms. Uh-huh. Okay, so what would be your suggestion for that? I mean, ballrooms, this is this is lots of people. There's not like a number that comes through to me. What I'm like feeling called to say is that your lived experience with assault, yeah. that's already been done. That part of your life, that part of whatever that was. So it's not happening again. It's already happened. You don't have to worry about that. So if we can lovingly detached. And then the other thing is that this is okay. When I was a little girl, my grandmother was Pentecostal and she spoke in tongues. And I remember being little and being very afraid of it. You know, I would go to her church and it was, it was just very dynamic and big and, you know, people doing all of this stuff. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized 
that was the closest I had physically gotten to spirit. And that's why I was so terrified of it. Because it was so powerful. Yeah. And so when you were talking about lifting the veil, a part of me just wonders if it's not a physical assault as much as it's just the power that that can bring. And that, that assault on your system, like it literally shocks the system, maybe. That's powerful. But yeah, I mean, I see that. I see a big ballroom. I see that for you. I don't know a price. Let me just say something about that. So tomorrow night, Julie's in town for a couple of things. Marion Williamson's going to be in my house. For I'll take pictures and the show will be really fun. I like where um, you're going with this. <laughs> like, I already like know where you're going with this. Yeah, she knows. <laughs> so... Um, so Marianne is obvious, you know, a lot of us know who she is, and she's, this is her life, this is her existence. She speaks in ballrooms, she speaks in stadiums, she's been doing this for years and years and years. She, she also speaks in houses. She speaks in my house. But she started at the Bodhi Tree Bookstore, which I used to love. Do you remember it on Melrose? Yeah, it was yeah. so cute. I hate that they, like, took that whole part of Melrose down. But anyway, it was a spiritual bookstore. And it was definitely my favorite place to hang out. Anyways, so she just used to frequent this bookstore, and there was an AIDS crisis, and she had this big message. And she was talking one day to the guy who owned the bookstore, and he said, why don't you do something here? You have to know how big the Bodhi Tree bookstore was. It was like half the size of this room. It was a little tiny house that was maybe 1,100 square feet that they converted into a bookstore. So half of it, you could walk through little shelving aisles, and half of it was like the back room. It was very small. They had a tiny little patio that was also about the size of this square. And he said, you should just speak here, because that would be wonderful. So her initial audience was gay men who were suffering with HIV, AIDS, actually, because they didn't yet have the medication to put people into HIV. It was like full-blown. And she loved these people. And they didn't have anywhere else to go where they were loved. People were scared. People were afraid. They were shunned. They were ostracized. Here she was in West Hollywood in a spiritual bookstore patio talking and handing out unconditional love. And it got bigger. And they brought their friends. And they brought their friends. And it kept getting bigger. So they moved into a bigger space. And they moved into a bigger space. And she kept saying, God, just use me. I'm here for it. Just use me. And eventually she was at the Saban Theater on Wilshire. Every Tuesday night, 1,200 seats full every Tuesday night. Somewhere along the way in the second year of speaking to just rooms that just kept naturally getting bigger, a man came up to her and he said, you should write a book. And she said, I I don't think so. I've, I've asked that question to spirit. I don't feel that I can sit at a computer and write a book. And he said, but you don't have to, because I've been recording you speaking. So I'm going to transcribe it for you. And she said, look, then I didn't write the book. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to promise you that if I transcribe these words, we could submit this. That was Return to Love. Wow. That was literally Return to Love. And somebody gave it to somebody who gave it to Oprah. And she had her come on. And overnight, it sold more books than any book had ever sold. Because it was the first one of those where Oprah was like, oh my God, this book. And boom, right? 
And then the rooms got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So I feel like what we do is we we come up with these beautiful visions and then we make it impossible to actually allow the vision in because it's it's not here to there, it's here to here. Yeah. So what would be, do you think, the Bodhi Tree bookstore? Where is that experience for you? Because that's your next move. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, speak or speak. Channelers channel. You don't need a ballroom to do that. And so you just have to start, which is what you're saying. It's The vision's there, and you'll get there. And it is there. It already is. And so just for today, you know, what's the next step for you? And I want to insert, and I want to hear what your both of your thoughts are on this. I like that you get paid now. Yes. Like, I don't want to wait for the ballroom. Right. So it's like, instead of kind of dodging where you really need to show up, right? Like, what's the next move for you to transact around a transformation? Mm-hmm. Because you need that for your growth, and so does your client. Yes. So what do you think? What could we come up with in this divinely guided moment where you're being held by all of these spiritual guides? What really is the offer? Because we went from information for parents to I want to own the fact that I am a spiritual master Mm -hmm. to, well, instead of that, I'm going to speak to a ballroom. What is calling you in? What is your sacral authority saying to you really and truly is the offer that you just have an anti-self that's keeping you from knowing and from acting on? What does that maybe look like? I think it looks like people want to be in this this resonance. I think people want to know how to access this connection. I think they have this inside of everybody, and people want so desperately. Okay, because you said seven or eight minutes ago, moms won't pay for themselves. Mm -hmm. So we've come fully around, haven't we? Mm -hmm. So what will you charge that mom? And where will you meet her? What can you paint her? Does that look like? And what do you think that we can charge for it? I think it looks like a coaching container. Okay. Is it virtual or in person? I'd like to do both. Okay. I'd like to have an in-person element. Okay. With the retreat at the end of the container. Okay. So... Twelve virtual sessions followed by an in-person two-day retreat. And how much? I think fifteen thousand. Okay, feels better. Yeah. And and what would prevent you from sharing that and letting allowing people to pay you that? I think in this moment, I, I don't feel like anything would. It just it feels clean. It feels clear. I feel not confused for maybe the first time. Oh my gosh, so inspiring, right? I want to thank these courageous women, Katrina and Brenda, for sharing their hearts with us and letting us play this for you. They're already making incredible waves, and I'm so excited to see how they've been growing. 
go follow them on Instagram. Katrina is at Katrina underscore manifestation mama. Mama is spelled M-A-M-A. And you can listen to her podcast, The Manifestation Mama. Also, let's give some love to Brenda. She's on Instagram at Brenda Winkle, and you can check out her podcast, Waves of Joy. To continue the theme of creating magic and putting beautiful things in the world, I want to also share this conversation I had with the awesome Jeff Malmberg. He's a Grammy-nominated documentary filmmaker and editor who's worked on one of my favorite films, Won't You Be My Neighbor, and his newest documentary just came out on Disney Plus last week. It's called Mickey, the Story of a Mouse, and it covers the remarkable story of how a cartoon mouse became one of the world's most beloved icons and has now for nearly a century. But it doesn't just focus on all the fun things about Mickey and Walt Disney. It looks at some of the more complicated moments of Mickey's evolution and his ongoing artistic and cultural significance throughout nearly a hundred years. It's really cool to walk through the history of this legacy and hear from people who've just been so impacted by it. Plus, it's a nice march down memory lane, so go check it out on Disney+. Plus. Jeff has such a passion and respect for the subject of documentaries, but he also explores their multidimensional facets, which is really at the heart of his work. And much like them, he always strives to put his best foot forward, spread unconditional love, and show a new possibility. As someone who loves all things Disney and Mickey Mouse and Mr. Rogers, I was really honored to have this conversation. So without further ado, please welcome the phenomenal Jeff Malmberg. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Yeah, of course it'll be. I'm excited to talk to you. So we want to talk about, obviously, the new documentary, which is really so exciting. And before we get into that, I just want to know a little bit about you and when and how did you even discover that this was your mission in the world to make these kinds of movies? Well, I always loved films. And then at a certain point, I started seeing documentaries and thought that that might be a more interesting way for me to go. You know, the part that I didn't really respond to with filmmaking was sort of having to lead a hundred people up a hill and like knowing the right answer (laughs) right at, at that moment, you know? So when I started seeing documentaries and then I took a documentary class at school a long time ago, it was like, Oh, we can do this like in a very small group. And I don't have to be right, which is was key because I would usually be wrong first. Like I'm really good at like my second decision on things. <laughs> that makes sense. Whereas yeah. it felt like directors had to be like omniscient, you know, and then documentary filmmakers, it was like, no, you can kind of hold two ideas in your head at the same time. So that kind of resonated with me. I had some really great teachers, a woman who I just saw, the other day, Kate Amend, who's a brilliant documentary filmmaker and editor, she really kind of turned me on to what it is to edit things. So, you know, I just kind of got lucky. My dad was always showing me films as a kid. It's something I try and do with my child now is she's only eight, but um, we were up in San Francisco playing the movie. And she is credited as the bug spotter on the movie. So when you see little bugs and Marceline, she found those bugs. And she just got so into introducing the film. And then the next day, out of nowhere, to the museum director, she goes, I'm a filmmaker too. And it was like, oh, yes, like I'm getting her excited about something. Now, I don't know if she's going to be a documentary filmmaker, but the idea, my dad did it for me. I want to do it for my daughter. The idea of getting excited about something. And being passionate about something, I think, is kind of the best thing you can do. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. I have three little girls, also six, nine, and 10. And I love to see the lights turn on. And I love that your daughter was like claiming that for herself. Like she had that like larger than life moment. 
yeah, it's like I have evidence of this now too. And I told my wife, I'm like, if you want a Christmas present for me, just frame it. It was her, Floyd Norman, who you see in the film, was teaching everybody at the screening how to draw Mickey. And she drew Mickey. And at the top, she said, I'm Mira Malmberg. And at the bottom, she said, I'm a filmmaker. And I was like, Christmas present, frame that. I'm done. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. Those are the things that money can't buy. And it just fills your whole soul, right? You're like, ah, this is it. This is it. I want to talk about this movie. But before we do, I just want to give people a tiny little look into things that you did leading you here. And one of those beautiful projects was Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I'm curious how that shaped you as a person, how that changed your life. Yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing about documentaries. You can ask that question and it's sometimes can be true, you know, because the longitudinal quality of documentary allows you to be one person on one end and one person on the other. And definitely, although that wasn't one of the longer films I did, it was a key film for me in that. So in 2018, I edited it in 2017. That means my daughter was two. So, you know, one of the things I did with her when I was in the mornings was um, I wanted really quiet things to watch with her. It was really an excuse for her to just look at something. I mean, I'm talking when she was, I was cradling her. Right. And so naturally Mr. Rogers neighborhood is so quiet. And then I started to see these direct addresses that he would do to you. And it was like, Oh wow, there's really something going on here. And then just at that time, my friend Morgan said, Oh, I'm going to do a Mr. Rogers documentary and sort of like grabbed him. (laughs) I got to work on this movie because there's something happening and I need to figure it out. And it turned out that direct address was really his sort of like, in my mind, him preaching to his choir, right? He really had the tiger by the tail at a certain point where he was leading culture, small amount of culture, but people were really listening to him and he was seeing television in a new way. And then, you know, he got so popular at a certain point that all starts to turn and he's made fun of as his message is getting stronger. He is kind of, being, you know, Eddie Murphy's making fun of him and this and that. And so it was just naturally kind of an interesting thing to want to do to try and figure out a voice like that, because I think it's a voice that's really beautiful. But as with anything, it's not all ups, there's downs too. So, and I think Mr. Rogers is somebody you look at, it's like, oh, goody two shoes. You know, a, a lot of people would dismiss him. I remember early when we were working on the film, I know I got this and I think Morgan was talking about, he got it a few times too, was people would be like, there's no drama there. You guys can't make a movie out of that. What are you talking about? Like this is Mr. Rogers. Who would be interested in that? And it's like, no, the drama is actually there, but it's just very thin. It's this idea of like, when you have people's attention, what you do with it and what happens when that turns and are you true to yourself, et cetera. So to me, that was sort of the unspoken engine of that film. And, you know, the fun part about documentaries, you don't know it until afterwards. Like I probably, I haven't ever said that, but that's sort of how I always viewed the movie. You know? Yeah. I just wanted to tell you personally, um, that movie came out right around my birthday. So that's what I did on my birthday that year and cried the entire way through it. And as a person who was a world religion major and then lived in Jerusalem for three years and studied mindfulness at UCLA for a few years and has been such a seeker, I can tell you that that movie was medicine and 
was a completely life-changing experience. And I had the good fortune of growing up with him. And what you said encapsulates the entire brilliance of the music he makes, which is the presence and the resonance of the way he looks into the camera and communicates to the viewer that you are loved for no reason other than you are worthy of that. And how significantly that changes a human being when somebody has that level of presence. That's the drama. The drama is that people feel so unseated. And here comes a person who is completely genuinely dropped in to what love itself feels like with no ulterior hidden agenda. And it was amazing, actually, to watch the whole movie and go, wait, he doesn't turn out to be a pedophile? He doesn't turn out to be someone who had three affairs? Because all of the heroes we loved, like JFK, and we still love, right? They turn out to have, like, human pasts and human lives. And he was just such a mic drop of a human being. So thank you for doing so much with that, because... You're really telling the story in equal parts in just different ways. And it was just massively powerful. So thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's one of the fun parts about documentary is you get to, you don't have to do it all yourself either. Like the answer is always between people, I think, you know, so I say this as if, you know, I did it, but we did it. And it's like my friend, Aaron, who edited it with me, did it. My friend Morgan, who directed it, did it. It's like, we all figured this thing out together. So that to me, if I can do that a few more times, like I yeah. count myself more than lucky. I, I totally agree. So let's talk about this movie that you've been working on most recently. What do you think is the magic in Mickey Mouse? There've been so many things that have tried to become as viral as magnetic and they have not reached that point and there's something about this character and all that's come from it that has completely Mm -hmm. revolutionized so much of how people even experience magic or the Mm -hmm. holidays or anything that has to do with what feels larger than life why do you think that is what did you learn in making this movie about mickey mouse i mean i think i learned that it's different for everybody Uh, The way I kind of see it is that it's kind of as close to joy as we're ever going to get in a symbol. It's something that we all share and it's very simple. Like this, it's simplicity and also it's ability for you to kind of fluff it off as nothing, which it on some level is, is part of its power. So it's like an underdog in a way. It's got this little underdog quality to it. So Going apparently it's all about my daughter. I, I went to Disneyland with my daughter and just the look on her face. She's one of those kids that ended up being in that first scene because it was like, but on a previous trip before that, I saw her see Mickey for the first time. And it was like, is this just in our DNA? Like what is going on that this is so, you know, I mean, maybe it's seeing a four foot tall mouse was just funny to her as a three-year-old. But I think that A lot of it has to do with that character that was originally created that was about perseverance and some of the things that Carmenita talks about in the film. And he's just sort of unstoppable as this thing that we all share all around the world for the last hundred years. I I can't think of another symbol like it. Yeah, I can't either. You know, so funny because Saturday night, this past Saturday night, we went to a very dear friend's son's bar mitzvah. 
and my daughter is 11. And I said, what do you want your theme to be? You know, she has a couple of years to think about it. And she said, well, what was yours? And I said, Disney. And she said, oh, what was that like? And I was like, oh, it was obviously going to be Disney because I had a Mickey Mouse telephone, you know, the one where he holds his hand and you put the phone back when phones look like that. And Disney was like all around my my room and all of that stuff. And we grew up not too far from Orlando. So I had gone to Epcot and Magic Kingdom so many times. And it brought back like all this. It was like the wonder, the air that felt different. As soon as we sort of even started speaking of it and the music, I mean, we saw Alan Menken at Hollywood Bowl not too long ago and every single song, you're like, I remember where I was. I know. And that's the thing about Mickey and Disney is that like, it just knows exactly where to press the notes inside of you that turn you into magic itself. And I'm curious what you learned about Walt Disney himself. Where does this come from? that's a thread to him. What inside of him do you think allowed him to birth this? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think initially that feeling of being maybe overlooked or, you know, perseverance, you know, there's a whimsy there that it's a mouse. It's hard not to like a character who tries. Do you know what I mean? And both Walt and Mickey early on seem really like characters who are going to try. And that plays into the idea of belief. You know, I think a lot of the Disney thing is about belief. I've noticed a lot of the documentary subjects that I like talking about or working on or whatever, watching are about belief. Like if you can show me somebody in life who believes in something. And part of what's awesome about belief is that there's no evidence it's not only not required, it's necessary that you don't have evidence, right? So it's like, there's a belief in Mickey of goodness and, and things like that. So I think when you're talking about early Walt Disney, who's trying like heck to stay away from the debt collectors and Oswald is stolen from him and he's got to figure something out. That's sort of that magic moment. And it's, you notice it's a moment he will use to tell his own story for the rest of his life. And it's become mythologized. And we felt like when we were doing that scene in Marceline, we were sort of trying to like play with and add to that mythology. But there is something there that's really magical in the power to get back up again and keep going because you believe you can do it, even if all evidence points to the contrary, right? That's Uh, so beautiful. We just took the kids to Disney. We were in Orlando and it was pouring rain while we're watching the fireworks at the end and the music that's playing is all about believing. And if you believe in my daughter, I have a video of her screaming with joy because the rain was just pouring down. And I was like, this is the crescendo moment of my life. Like, how could this be better? And it was that belief. It's like the all it's like, why does anyone love a Disney movie? It's because Moana sees what's over that horizon and she's willing to bet it all on it. And I love that you just said that. So in making this movie, when people will watch it, what are you personally hoping they take away from it when the movie's over? What lesson do you want them to come away with? You know, I wouldn't call it a lesson. I would just say that it's like the value of little things maybe is a big one. 
For me personally, and I find I'm finding when I'm at my best as a parent, it's about rediscovering joy. And in a world where there's so much negativity, trying to err on the side of, of belief or joy, not at all costs and not to anyone's detriment, but to try and cut people a break, to try and see beauty, really strain to see it. So I think something like that, you know, it's tough because usually I'm attracted to stories that are sort of, you know, Fred was one thing, but in other films I've done, it's like nobody had done a film about blank. Whereas this, there's 500 pounds of books about Mickey, Walt, Disney, et cetera. So it's, it was never a function of me trying to prove anything to anyone. I just wanted people to see their own version of it better or more clearly or more deeply, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. When you look back at the movie, is there a part of the documentary that for whatever reason just stays with you more? Maybe it was like a favorite part or maybe for some reason, you don't know, just like you had some big emotional response to a certain scene in the movie. Well, I mean, seeing my daughter is nice. I mean, it's been a while and COVID kind of slowed down production. So it's like she's eight now. She was four then. That's sort of why I always put it. She was in Mr. Rogers. She was one of those kids who's looking at the screen. And, you know, we watched it the other day and she didn't even recognize herself because yeah. it was so long ago. So that one gets me, you know, on a geek art level. I really like the period where Mickey is sort of all things to all people. I really find the work that Milton Glaser did with Mickey in Mickey Mouse in Vietnam to be really meaningful and beautiful. I think that was one of the things I wanted to do in the film was, you know, Disney is very sensitive to a lot of aspects with copyright and things like that. And we wanted to make sure we talked about that, but it's to me, the larger point there from my perspective was that because he is so close to us, we have all played with him in interesting ways. So I was trying to create levels where it's like, Things like that comic book in the camp should have just as much meaning as Fantasia or what Milton Glaser did. Milton Glaser's a hero of mine. He's somebody I really will always think back getting to spend time with him, what he did in using that symbol. So simply in twisting it, I wanted inside a Disney documentary to say that there's value in what people do with him. Yeah, that's beautiful. I I want everybody to see it. And as we're signing off for anybody who's listening, who has dreams and aspirations of making documentaries or telling stories, what's one thing that you would offer as you've sort of become so successful? There are things that you've learned along the way, you know, success leaves clues. Mm -hmm. What's one of the clues you would offer in somebody who would be telling a story or making a documentary even specifically that you think makes it stand apart? I think that you should look for subjects to film that are bigger than your frame. You know, Mickey is certainly one of them. Fred was one of them. I feel like all of the things I've worked on, I've been lucky enough to be, and to realize that you are the frame to their picture. You're trying to make the perfect frame to them and all their complications. Right. And that comes down to things like listening and hearing what they're telling you. You know, I think a lot of times people early on, I'm sure I still do this, but I try and guard against it is imposing my will on something. And instead, I think it works better in documentary when you let it filter through you. That's a good thing for me to hold on to in my personal life in terms of listening to people. 
So I think it teaches you to be, at least documentary always teaches me to be a little bit of a better person in terms of it's, I always think it's like me at my best. <laughs> like, you know, if only I were as good as I am in interviews of trying to really hear people and understand people in my daily life, like I would be doing great. I think that's a really powerful point. I was interviewing Guy Raz for like the second time. And I said, what do you think makes a great podcaster? And he said, the time I'm just listening, right? Because gosh, could we all really take that away as yet another beautiful thing you said today, because we are in a time where people aren't having conversations. You know, they're just reading hashtags. They're just looking at headlines and tweets. And it's like to really sit and listen fully, you walk away with a much different picture. And so I, my documentaries are my favorite things to watch. And so thank you for making beautiful ones and, uh, and for leaving us with that. Tell everybody where they can find it and where they can take part in viewing it. Sure. Uh, it's opening November 18th, Friday on Disney Plus. So click those remotes. I can't wait. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was really fun to talk to you. It was really fun to talk to you too. That was so much fun. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, put your idea through the for fun and for freedom filter. Is your offer for fun and is it for freedom? Everything has to be a heck yes. Number two, smallness is not for you. Number three, no one can reject you but you. Number four, we are in a massive transformative transgression of shedding the old and rebirthing the new. This is the universal shift that we're all being called to level the F up. Number five, you have to be creative. They can't outsource your creativity, your love, or your vulnerability. Number six, your soul is giving you a signal. All the guides, all the things are here, but they can only come through when you lift the veil. Number seven, the best thing you can do for someone else is inspire them to get excited and passionate about something. Number eight, you are loved for no reason other than you are worthy of that. And number nine, when it comes to belief, no evidence is required. There's something really magical in the power to get back up again and keep going simply because you believe you can do it, even if all evidence points to the contrary. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are really the best. There are so many good episodes coming up. So please make sure that you follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if there's anything from this episode that has struck a chord with you, if this has touched your heart, then please take a second and leave us a review and a rating because it means more than you think. And maybe you can text the link to somebody or post about this on your Instagram and you can tag me at kathy.heller. You can also tag any of the people who've been on this episode like Julie Solomon, or you can tag the girls, Brenda Winkle and Katrina at Katrina underscore manifestation mama. You could also tag Disney plus if you want to share about Jeff Malberg's documentary. And before we go, don't forget, we are taking applications for the mastermind. So if you're ready to step in to the most abundant possibilities this really is it. You guys, this container is just gold. And we only have a few spots because many of the girls in the current mastermind are renewing. So we will have some spots left and we are taking applications. We are already reviewing those applications and we'll be doing one-on-one calls with everyone who applies to see if indeed you are a fit. If you'd like to get in on this and see if this is right for you, you can apply and set up a one-on-one call. Go to kathyheller.com slash mastermind. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song. Talk to you soon.